Our good friend and regular Draw Near guest, Father Pat Bame, is one of my favorite homilists. He is relatable, he's always relevant, and he's genuinely pastoral. He speaks truth from a place of love. And Father records his Sunday homilies, and so we are very happy to share them with our listeners. Please enjoy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This week in the bulletin, I mention a wonderful program that I have thoroughly enjoyed watching on formed.org entitled Eternal Life, the Art of Dying Well. I, I encourage you to check that out if you get a chance. In one episode, a real mentor of mine, uh, who really is a dear friend, he was one of my seminary professors, his name is Dr. Sean Innerst. He said something that very much convicted me. He said that it took over 40 years of him being a Catholic for him to hear a homily on hell. And so it got me thinking, in over 11 years of priesthood, I have never once preached a homily on hell. Now, to be sure, I've mentioned it here and there in passing, but I've never actually devoted an entire homily to that reality. And I say that very much to my shame, right? because the prophet Malachi in the first reading had some pretty harsh words for priests who don't speak the full truth of the gospel. Jesus in the gospel talked about priests who tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and won't lift a finger to move them. Well, I like to be liked. I mean, everybody likes to be liked. Who doesn't like to be liked? I do. And so I don't really, believe it or not, like to preach on difficult topics. I would actually much rather avoid them and just sort of assume that people get it and they understand. But I'm really, as I reflected on that, doing a grave disservice. And so I pray that the Lord will have mercy on me for having neglected this very serious responsibility that I have as a priest. So you all today get the joy of hearing the very best homily that I have ever preached on hell, because it's the first homily that I have ever preached on hell. I guess you might also, by extension, say it's going to be the worst homily I've ever preached on that topic, but nonetheless, here we are. Father Peter and I were talking this week, and we both were talking and praying, and we decided to preach a three-part series, in fact, this week, next week, and the following week, on hell, on purgatory, and on heaven. The month of November is actually really the perfect time to do this, because it's in this month that the church especially prays for the dying, and we reflect on the reality of death. We know that we're going to die, we all want to go to heaven, but to truly understand how wonderful that gift is, we first have to understand just how terrible hell is. Now, unfortunately, we live in an age where hell is never really acknowledged as a possibility. The church is always taught on what are known as the four last things. There is death, judgment, heaven, hell. These are called the four last things. So there are two certainties, death and judgment. That's going to happen to all of us. And then there are two possibilities known as heaven and hell. But so often I think we kind of just tend to think of three certainties, death, judgment, and heaven. In other words, we think that no matter what, no matter how we live, that everyone makes it in the end, except maybe we might make a little exception you know, for Hitler and Stalin and people like that. This is known as universalism. It has a name. It's called universalism. The major issue with it, of course, is that it is explicitly contrary to the words of Jesus Christ. 
I did a quick Google search as I was preparing this homily, and I just typed in, how many times does hell appear in the Bible? And you got different answers. So different studies will say one thing. One said 31. One said 13. One, the, and the one that I looked at, said 97. And I went through and I looked at the 97 references, and I, I tend to agree with that one. And so regardless of whether it's 13, 31, or 97, or somewhere in the middle, this is a big topic that Jesus talks about quite a bit, and certainly sufficient enough that we ought not neglect it and just sort of push it off to the side and pretend like it doesn't exist. There have been a number of saints throughout history who've had a vision of hell. Among them are St. John Bosco, St. Faustina Kowalska, St. Teresa of Avila, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, and quite a few others. But as just one example, St. Faustina wrote this in her diary. She wrote, I, by the order of God, have visited the abysses of hell so that I might tell souls about it and testify to its existence. But I noticed one thing, that most of the souls there are those who disbelieved that there is a hell. Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said that it is truly a tragic day when someone first comes to believe in the existence of hell when he finds himself there eternally. And so, brothers and sisters, I realize that this is not a pleasant topic, but it's a key aspect of our faith, because if we don't understand what is truly at stake, then we simply cannot understand the gift that Christ offers to us in his passion, his death, and his resurrection. And so as we go through today, as we go through really these next three homilies, I invite you to keep in mind the purpose of why Father Peter and I want to talk on this. It isn't to cause despair for ourselves or for our loved ones. It's really to get us to appreciate and understand how amazing, how awesome heaven is, that it's a real place, and that it's our true inheritance as disciples of Jesus Christ. The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines hell as the following the state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed, reserved for those who refuse by their own free choice to believe and be converted from sin even to the end of their lives. So let's just break this down for a second. First, hell is a definitive state, meaning that it is irrevocable. Every so often, someone might suggest, or every, I'll, I'll get this question sometimes, that maybe at the end, Jesus is going to look to those in hell and basically say, look, no big deal, you didn't understand, it, it's all good, come on in anyway. The church has definitively said that this view is an error. This is not compatible with our faith. St. Thomas tells us that after death, our wills become fixed, either on God or on rejecting him. So those in heaven can never sin again, it's impossible because their wills are totally fixed on God and on the things of God. Those in hell simply cannot bring themselves to repent because their wills are fixed on turning away from God. So once our eternal destiny is decided, there just simply is no going back. Second, the Catechism goes on and says it's a definitive state of self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed. So all this means is that we have freely chosen not to be part of a communion of saints and not to be in union with God. 
Essentially, we have chosen to turn away from him. Let's just think for a moment about what this means. St. John tells us in his first letter, God is love. And in him, in God, there is peace, joy, kindness, happiness. Basically, think of any good adjective, and that begins to scratch the surface of what union with God in heaven is like. So likewise, if we are separated from God, what do we have? Again, the opposite of every good virtue. So anger, vitriol, dissension, hatred, discord. In short, hell is a place where there is no love. There is only hatred. And as a result, a suffering far beyond anything we can possibly fathom. Finally, the Catechism says it's reserved for those who refuse by their own free choice to believe and be converted from sin even to the end of their lives. So in other words, we choose hell for ourselves by our refusal to repent. After baptism, the only thing that can keep us out of heaven is mortal sin because it cuts us off from the life of grace. If we freely choose to reject God's invitation to turn away from our sins, we cut ourselves off from his grace. Ultimately, God does not force us to love him. At the end of the day, where we spend eternity is truly a choice. Now, I strongly recommend you choose heaven, but at the end of the day, it really is your choice. Because ultimately, sin is a choice. And so in some sense, hell is ironically a good thing because it's an act of God's mercy. He loves us enough to let us choose eternity without him rather than force us to spend eternity with him. And so my brothers and sisters, this is why confession is so important. This is why we have to be careful not to rationalize our sins away within the recesses of our own minds. This is why we should run to confession as soon as we're conscious of having committed a serious sin. The truth of the matter is that we know neither the day nor the hour when the Lord will call us home. We don't know when that's going to be. So we must live every moment of every day ready to stand before him. In fact, I'm jumping the gun just a tiny little bit. That's next Sunday's homily, next Sunday's gospel, in fact. But a natural question at this point then might be, okay, Father, if mortal sin is the only thing that can keep me out of heaven, what is that? It would be good to know what that is so I can avoid doing it. So full disclosure, when I first wrote this homily, I had a little bit of a homily within a homily. I had about a page and a half on what constitutes mortal sin. I realized that was far beyond the scope of what I'm trying to discuss today, so I deleted all of it. Suffice it to say that for a sin to be mortal... There must be three conditions simultaneously present. Number one, it has to be something serious, which we call grave matter. Number two, it has to be done with full knowledge of the intellect. And number three, it has to be done with full consent of the will. So in other words, put it in plain English, to commit a mortal sin is to do something seriously wrong that we know is wrong that we choose to do anyway. It is impossible to to commit a mortal sin accidentally. But sadly, this is much more common than we like to believe. Jesus himself says that the path to life is narrow and few follow it, that the road to destruction is wide and many follow it. Again, not my words. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus. 
So speaking in very general terms, but I think I'm on good ground here, I would wager that the most common mortal sins in our lives are missing Sunday Mass without a good reason and sins against the Sixth Commandment, meaning some type of sexual sin. So again, I'm not talking about you're sick and I couldn't get to Mass because I'm sick, I had a flat tire, I couldn't get there, I'm on call at the hospital and I'm a nurse and I just have to be there and I can't make it work. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, I just didn't feel like getting out of bed in the morning or the Vikings game is on and I'm tailgating or whatever it is. That's what we're talking about. And again, like I said, sins against the sixth commandment. Again, it's a generalization on my part. And I want to reiterate as I share those things, this is not to cause us despair. Please do not walk away from here despairing. My hope is that all of us walk out of here with hope for salvation. If I cause anyone to despair through the words of this homily, then I have really missed the mark. The truth is that we need not despair. Christ offers all of us hope for salvation. And that, in fact, is true even for loved ones who've already died. We need not despair of our loved ones who have already died. St. Thomas tells us that we can pray for their salvation even now. November 5th, 2023, we can pray for somebody that died a thousand years ago that we never met. Because God exists outside of space and time, in some way he can take our prayer today and he can apply it retroactively to that person at the moment of their passing from this life. That's how much our Heavenly Father loves us. And so my dear brothers and sisters, never, ever, ever despair. God desires that all would be saved. He is truly for us. He is not against us. But in the same vein, in the same vein as we say we mustn't despair, we also have to say we mustn't be presumptuous. We cannot simply presume that we're going to die and make it to heaven. We have to work out our salvation day after day after day by continually coming to Christ in our prayer, in our virtue, and through the sacraments. But the good news is, Again, that God is for us. He wants us, me, you, our loved ones, he wants us in heaven more than we want that for ourselves. So if you have a loved one who maybe is separated from the church, you might fear for their salvation. Have no fear. God loves that person and wants them in heaven even more than you do. Hard as that is to believe. And he also gives us every grace necessary to get there. But ultimately, it's up to us whether we respond. And so, brothers and sisters, let's get right with our Lord. If it's been a while since you've been to confession, don't wait any longer. If there's something in your life that needs to be cleaned up, let's get to it. Let's not wait until the very last moment of our lives, for we truly do not know when that moment will be. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins and save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.